0: everyone and welcome to Energy Explored. This podcast covers the challenges of achieving a carbon neutral global economy, cutting emissions of gases and pollutants, and setting up new energy systems. Join Reed Smith lawyers and guest speakers as they shed light on the most important trends in emissions control and new fuels. Tune in as we follow the ever-evolving journey through the transition of energy.
1: Welcome to another episode of Energy Explored. I'm Ryan Haddad. I'm a partner with Reed Smith located uh, in Pittsburgh. Uh, I focus my practice on energy transactions, uh, both in sort of traditional energy, oil and gas and, and related transactions, but also increasingly in carbon capture and sequestration. I'm joined today by my colleague in Brussels, Eve Mellon.
2: Thanks, Ryan. Uh, yes, Yves Mellon, and I am a, a partner in the Brussels office. I'm, I'm a customs and international trade lawyer, and I focus on uh, all issues affecting the movement of goods across customs borders. We are going to entertain you today uh, about carbon capture and the carbon border adjustment mechanism and try to discuss how the two work together. Ryan, a couple of questions for you. Let me start. For those of... Uh, for listeners who are not familiar with carbon uh, capture in
1: the, uh, in, in the US, carbon uh, sequestration, H- how does it work? Sure. So, uh, I mean, I think most people are probably more familiar with how hydrocarbon production works, and, and they're actually very similar. The way hydrocarbon extraction works is you drill a hole in the ground, you pull the hydrocarbons out of the ground, you put it in a pipeline, and you take it to market. Carbon capture and sequestration is almost the reverse of that process. So it's companies or industries that are high carbon producers, heavy carbon industries like cement, like natural gas fired power plants, like ammonia production, hydrogen, especially blue hydrogen production. Those companies will install technology at their emission source to capture the carbon that they are producing in the, in the process of producing their products that captured carbon then is placed into a pipeline in most cases and transported to an injection site and then injected via an injection well into a, a geologic sequestration zone for the purpose of permanent storage of that carbon. And so what you're effectively doing is decarbonizing industries that don't have other reasonable means to decarbonize. That's interesting. So it's it's uh, sequestration. It, the, the, the carbon is transported away from the installation where the emissions are are made correct yeah that that's absolutely right and and it relies sort of on the proximity of suitable geology uh, that looks a, sometimes it's a depleted oil and gas reservoir or a depleted aquifer or a basalt formation something that is porous but also has a capstone that allows for that carbon to be stored permanently interesting and and what are the economic
2: incentives in the US for carbon capture and sequestration? And, and uh, in your opinion,
1: do any of these incentives fall short? Sure. That's a great question. I mean, there, there are both sort of direct and indirect economic incentives for doing carbon capture and sequestration. The direct incentives are tax credits that are available under the Inflation Reduction Act, whereby for each metric ton of carbon that is captured and sequestered permanently, there's a tax credit earned equal to about $85 per ton. And for the first six years of the program, that will be available via direct pay, meaning you're not just offsetting a tax bill, but actually eligible to receive cash from the federal government as if you overpaid on your taxes in exchange for that carbon capture. And then the indirect incentives are, you know, sort of what are the drivers for companies to do this? A lot of these companies are facing, you know, regulatory mandates or pressure from shareholders to decarbonize their processes. And so they see economic uplift from being able to say, Hey, you know, we are carbon neutral where it tends to fall short. I think is in terms of the, the direct pay under the inflation reduction act, $85 per ton does a lot to offset the cost of actually implementing these projects. But one of the drivers is, investment from companies that aren't necessarily doing carbon capture to generate profits. You know, they have, they have shareholder mandates that they have to meet. And so $85 per ton makes it more economically viable, but we're not seeing, you know, uh, universal adoption in part because some of these companies just can't afford to implement the, the, the CCUS programs. So even it's funny, you know, what, we were, we were chatting uh, and we have practices that aren't always overlapping, but realized that we were talking to some of the same clients, you know, these sort of heavy carbon industries, and especially those that are trading with the EU. So I, I want to focus kind of on U.S. exporters to Europe. How does the, the carbon border adjustment mechanism apply to them? So the carbon border adjustment
2: mechanism, in a nutshell, is projecting at the EU's border a uh, carbon tax burden that is equivalent to uh, what is required for installations in the European Union. In the EU, manufacturers are subject to the uh, emission trading system, the ETS, and are required to reduce their emissions uh, or pay for what exceeds the best-in-class level of emissions. And so that system works today largely on the the giving of free allowances to uh, emitters in europe those free allowances would be gradually removed starting in uh, 2026 until 2034 and to uh, avoid european manufacturers to face unfair competition by uh, industries outside of the eu the price of of importing uh, goods that uh, result in carbon emissions that are in scope i'll get to that in a second uh, will gradually increase at the same time as those free allowances are removed. So the CBAM will be the obligation to buy CBAM certificates when importing goods into the EU and re- releasing them for free circulation. And the price of the CBAM certificates will be directly linked to the uh, price of uh, ETS allowances. There are some mechanisms there to, 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 um, to to connect the price of CBAM to uh, the allowances, but by and large, this is what the CBAM uh, intends uh, to do. It doesn't apply to all sectors. It applies to six sectors. Uh, steel products, lots of steel products, iron and steel, from iron ore all the way to some uh, consumer goods, uh, uh, steel fasteners, for instance. Uh, Aluminium products, a broad category of them as well. Uh, from primary aluminium to uh, uh, some uh, nearly finished aluminium uh, boxes and containers, fertilizers, hydrogen, electricity, and cement. So these are the sectors which are in scope right now. Expectation uh, is that the list will grow in the future, but these are the sectors which are covered now. Those sectors which are most susceptible to carbon leakage and which were bene- benefiting from those free allowances. And so Manufacturers uh, and traders, importers of those products uh, into the EU, uh, will start uh, seeing new obligations uh, when they place those goods on the EU market. Um, I can also say, in my nutshell, uh, that there are two regimes. There is the transition period, which started on the 1st of October, so just a few days ago, and will end at the end of 2025. The obligations there applies on anybody importing those goods into the EU, a uh, requirements to account for the CBAM goods imported into the EU, track the carbon emissions embedded into them, possibly track also uh, the uh, carbon price paid in the country of production, and submit quarterly reports. The amount of admin uh, required to collect this information is is uh, huge, and uh, importers traders are are struggling to wrap their head around this new requirement. Lots of questions being asked at the moment, and uh, there are penalties, by the way, uh, foreseen for the non-submission of qualitative uh, quarterly reports. So uh, traders who are aware of this, it's it's still very new, uh, pay a lot of attention because they do not want to be on the wrong side of enforcement. Then in 2026, when the CBAM enters into its definitive stage, there will be a requirement to purchase CBAM certificates associated with the release of goods for free circulation in the customs territory of the EU. And they are an obligation to buy a certain amount of CBAM certificates to cover the emissions and there with, with thresholds for per quarter. And in the following year, uh, the obligation to release into uh, the CBAM registry, which is basically the bank account of the EU where you pay uh, for the carbon emissions uh, to release uh, CBAM certificates equivalent to the embedded emissions into the imported CBAM goods. So th- that, that is what what's coming. And this will, of course, this will impact imports from all over the world. But uh, of course, uh, from the United States as well, and in those industries to which you talk,
1: a bit of a question here, and maybe this is more germane to to our U.S. clients. But what are the criteria for, I guess, qualifying under this regime as I don't know if it's carbon neutral or, or how does a producer qualify as exempt from buying these certificates? You know, I, I think there's probably some push pull between what we call what we call carbon neutral in the U.S. and what what the eu would view as as you know carbon zero or or not requiring these certificates that's a very good question because the the devil is in the details and uh the
2: The short answer is you will have to use the e u method unless something else is agreed between the e u and the u s in the meantime and the the default method that is proposed or proposed imposed by the commission. Uh, is the uh, very close to the um, reporting required under the ETS so extremely onerous requirements in terms of uh, reporting and documenting of the of the um, uh, of the emissions embedded into the uh, imported goods lots of questions around that at the moment because the entities required to share the data importers uh, are not equipped to understand and collect uh, this type of information, which typically is maintained at plant level. That's the first issue. second issue is lots of plants outside of the EU do not track their emissions at all. This is only beginning in most places. And so the information is just not out there. Uh, I think things will change quite significantly in the next few years because the CBAM is there, and other countries are uh, adopting similar uh, similar systems, as well as uh, their own uh, incentives for for the uh, decarbonization, like uh, like what the US has in place. And so, at the end of the day, all those efforts which are uh, creating incentives to reduce carbon emissions will have to be recognized by the EU uh, to the anytime they are equivalent. And so they will be, because when the EU create obstacles preventing foreign producers to justify their low emissions based on their own existing uh, regulatory frameworks, uh, it will create a discrimination which is not compatible with the WTO. So the EU will be very mindful to avoid that from happening. And there will be, I think, in the next couple of years, lots of interaction by industry, especially foreign industry, foreign industries, and then especially foreign industries, which are at the forefront of carbon reduction, of which carbon capture will be one. Because from what I understand, and you you will actually know this better than I do, it is in the United States that you will find these cutting edge uh, technologies. They are very valuable when carbon emissions become costly, and so making sure that the carbon capture that takes place in the u s in the way it takes place in the u s is valued uh, to reduce the carbon debt uh, associated with the, the the goods crossing the border uh, will be something that that um, companies and and uh, and their trade
1: associations will
2: request in the next few years
1: yeah it, it's it's interesting i mean you know when you look at sort of the the value stream or the transaction structure and carbon capture and sequestration what you have is you have the the emitter right the the point source the the facility that's producing the carbon you have generally a midstream provi- provider who installs and operates the pipeline and then you have the company that's actually drilling injection wells and and operating those injection wells and then monitoring the reservoir once carbon has been injected and the, the the second and third steps are have generally been dominated by us companies especially us oil and gas and and former oil and gas personnel but we're seeing a huge push from international companies with locations in the United States to adopt these technologies um, I, I would stop short of saying that they are the driver but certainly a plurality of the projects that we're seeing at the in the emitter category are being driven by international companies. And so is it safe to assume that those are companies that are, I mean, they, they see that carbon capture and sequestration is, is sort of booming in the United States in a way that is not elsewhere. Is it safe to assume that they're looking at that and saying, this is a way for us to comply with our decarbonization mandates in the EU or elsewhere via oh. our U S locations?
2: Sure. Users of goods in scope now CBAM goods that export those products so US producers especially European owned US producers right who are watching what the EU does maybe a bit more closely that your average American company will be very much aware that this is coming and uh, will want to find always available to them to reduce their 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 carbon footprint and so to the extent that they have access to those uh, special uh, sites uh, ge- geological locations that you were describing earlier to uh, inject their carbon emission, the, the carbon they emit, um, they will they will de- that definitely creates an incentive for them. And uh, now what they will be trying to do, or if they don't, what they should be doing, is to make sure that all those efforts are actually recognized in the administrative process associated with the CBAM, because there's a lot of hoops to jump through to have your uh, emissions the low level of emissions recognised. And I, I will say about that that um, when we now have the framework regulation, um, which is the, the the piece of legislation adopted by the, the, the EU, European Parliament and the, and the Council of the EU, so the co legislators, we have the tech, that text and we have one implementing regulation by the Commission for the transitional phase. We are go, expecting more than a dozen additional implementing regulations by the European Commission, which will implement all the aspects of the CMAM, including uh, this type of, of details. So, staying close to the EU now is is, is something um, uh, that is very uh, very important.
1: So, it, it sounds to me almost like you know we we need this sort of regulatory regimes to line up. But once they do, there might be an opportunity for domestic producers who are trading with Europe, who are or exporting to the EU, to almost double dip. In that they would both be earning the tax credits under the Inflation Reduction Act, but also being able to exempt themselves from buying CBAM certificates? Is that?
2: It's a very good point about the, um, the double dip because you have your tax incentives in the US, which are created very likely not with the CBAM in mind, just to create a virtuous circle there and incentivize the carbon capture and reduce emissions. Uh, but those tax incentives will also have as a consequence the reduction of the actual carbon emissions. And so those that can be valued in order to pay a smaller amount of CBAM upon importation in the EU. And so to, to your point earlier, when you met, when you, when you said that uh, uh, is the tax incentive high enough? Well, if you combine both at some point, yes, it will be. Uh, for some companies, those that are aware of the CBAM and the number of companies aware of the CBAM will grow by the day. This, this thing... Uh, Took a lot of people by surprise. Um, it, it is one of the fastest file that we've seen in Brussels in the past years. It's uh, it, it is the combination of revenue for the European Union, a reduction of uh, of carbon emissions, and uh, several steps in the direction of electrification and energy autonomy. Which all those things are aligned, so the file uh, raced through the the adoption process, and so consequence is that. Everybody's been taken by surprise by the speed of, the, of this. So the regulation was adopted, published, implementing regulations, short uh, deadline for consultations, and voilà, first of October, it's in force. The, the 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 member states, quite a few member states, have not yet adopted their the um, the chosen their agencies in charge of controlling this, and lots of information needed for making this work is not available. So. Most people are taken by surprise and are only hearing about the cbam now that 's in place and it's uh, that 's the case of most uh, of most of our, of our clients actually so the, the The more American companies are aware of this in a sense it does create a new a new level playing field and if you have a product which is in demand in Europe currently supplied by countries that are not able to provide the level of uh, detail in the carbon emissions that are requested for the CBAM Uh, and in the U.S. you have companies that are plus have access to carbon capture. You then have the data and the low emissions that justify the payment of a low level of CBAM and that is an opportunity compared to companies that may be less sophisticated or have no access to carbon capture. And so I wouldn't be surprised if uh, a lot of the clients that you advise, uh, Ryan, in the U.S. as they become aware of the these opportunities, it's a cost, right? But it's a it's a cost for everybody. It's an opportunity for anybody that has access to carbon capture and is good at do- doing carbon accounting. Uh, I would not be surprised if uh, there would be interest
1: renewed interest in the European market. It's interesting, and forgive me for being a little bit U.S. focused here, but it almost sounds like. It's it's an incentive to locating these kind of facilities in the United States because you have available to you, if you are in an industry that is difficult to decarbonize, you have the ability to utilize carbon capture and sequestration to generate a carbon-neutral product that then would be more competitive uh, on the European market because you're not incurring those certificate costs. Yeah, absolutely,
2: absolutely. Uh, and relocation from third From outside of the EU to the US, certainly. I'm sure that the EU will try to prevent, uh, (laughs) will do nothing that incentivizes the move from European companies to the US to benefit from carbon capture. So that's something to be watched. But you're right, there will definitely be an incentives to manufacture those uh, products which are subject to the CBAM for the European market anywhere close carbon capture sites. Uh, where they are available
1: um, and benefit as well from uh, the tax incentives you described. Yeah, it's it's really fascinating, and and you know I think you would agree that Europe has been a little bit slow to adopt the carbon capture and sequestration tech, but um, you know we're starting to hear noise out of various countries in the EU that are starting to implement these projects, and, and it's really exciting to see sort of how those develop. Absolutely, great
2: uh Ryan
1: yeah so, yeah this is great
2: it's been a great conversation ryan thank you so much for uh for the time uh i think we could we could speak about this for for days right uh but uh it's it's a first good
1: i think introduction for me to what you do and and hopefully to you from what what we do here in brussels yeah likewise thanks Eva. i really appreciate it. it's been it's been really educational i think our clients will really value from sort of hearing these two perspectives
0: Energy Explored is a Reed Smith production. Our producer is Allie McCardle. For more information about Reed Smith's energy and natural resources practice, please email energyexplored at readsmith.com. You can find our podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and reedsmith.com. And our social media accounts at Reed Smith LLP on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter.